Hi, this is Craig, and welcome to this episode of Leaders with Craig Miller. This is the podcast where we speak with leaders and discuss real-life challenges and practices to becoming more effective at work and in life. Today we will be speaking with Nilendra Singh. Neil uh, is originally from India and currently the general manager, managing director of Adidas for all of India. Neil uh, has had an entire career in retail and has spent the last 15 plus years working at Adidas outside of India. And I think in addition to our key theme, which I'll introduce in a second, Neil shares what it's been like to be an expat and then return to your home country, which I don't actually see that often and find super interesting. So I hope you do as well. We talked a little bit about uncertainty and some of his strategies for building new opportunities within this COVID-19 pandemic. And the theme for the podcast today is this concept of managing upward and managing stakeholders. And I'm really happy to have you get to listen to what Neil uh, sees and, and what he shares during this episode. Hope you enjoy. So Neil, well, Neil, welcome, welcome. I'm so glad to have you on the podcast. Hi, great. Likewise. Love it. Neil Singh is the general manager, managing director of Adidas in India. And what I'd like to do, Neil, is have you share a little bit beyond what we see on LinkedIn. I know that you have a long career with Adidas and in retail. And what would be interesting is just to share a little bit more about who's Neil, maybe what are your values, where you're from, a little bit just so we can get to know you. Brilliant. Thanks. Well, I was born in the late 70s. Let's leave it at that. But interestingly, I grew up in northern India in a bunch of bunch of state capitals, um, in some key cities in North India, because my father would get, uh, let's say, transferred to a to a new location in his job every three to four years. So I grew up um, in three to five, I think, five key cities in India until I went to college, uh, and that meant that I joined about five schools uh, in those in those in that period and had the benefit of of traveling. Uh, to different parts of the country, making friends in different schools. And today when I reflect back, while I might not have one friend who's been with me right from kindergarten days, but I have a bunch of friends which um, who I met in different parts um, of my growing up. After I, I did school, I, I came to Delhi, and that's where principal education really happened uh, in India. And, I, and a lot of people don't know that before, I graduated in management. I did my undergrad in chemistry. Mm. Uh, at some point of time, I wanted to be a scientist. Well, let's put it this way. In a classic Indian context, um, my parents and a lot of my context when I was growing up wanted me to be in the medical or the scientist um, science area. And I thought that was a pretty cool career choice as well. Till I got there and then I realized, listen, I'm, I'm, I think I'm better off working with people uh, and, and therefore, I chose to uh, be, uh, to go and, and study management. And, and at the time, and just curious, at the time, did that feel like you were letting your family down to choose no. management? No, okay. not really. I, I guess uh, my my parents, of course, are very well educated. Um, they've lived lived abroad as well. And while I think there was a latent um, interest in having me study science uh, or uh, become a doctor or a scientist. 
that never came in the way after I had grown up. It was, I think it shaped my choices as I was growing mm. and helped me choose my subjects in school, uh, but not, not beyond that. It doesn't really happen, affect me after that. Um, so yeah, so I, I did that. I incidentally, uh, I, I, I was lucky to, to join, to be among the early generation of retailers in our, in our country, in India. I mean, retail is, a, is probably one of the biggest professions here. There, there are about 12 million mom and pop stores. However, organized retail was, was coming to life in the late 90s. And that's when I was graduating from my MBA class. So in 1999 is when I joined organized retail and potentially the first two or three generations of organized retailers. And that, and that shaped my career beyond that. And, and therefore, since 1999, when I, when I started working for the first time, I've done a bunch of roles in retail, in telecom, in fashion, uh, in DIY, uh, retail, running big box, uh, let's say stores, uh, till I joined Adidas in 2005. And then and I had a bunch of stints um, in Adidas as well. I joined, I joined in Bombay. I then worked in Delhi, which is the head office. And then I left India for about a decade, um, worked in South Korea. The last five and a half years were in Germany. And I just returned to India last year, about the same time. And I want to talk about that for a second, because I work with many leaders who have stayed in their home country and always worked there. I work with also many leaders that have expat careers. It's not as common, and I'm actually really curious, what's it like to have a different worldview of spending a decade outside of your home country and then come back and run a business in India? What are your observations? What's that like? Listen, I love it, Craig. I guess I can answer this in a couple of ways and I'll go in no particular order. I think it's, first of all, it's a matter of pride, clearly, to be, to be back uh, in, a, in a senior position. Ten years ago, if you, if you would have asked me if I would ever be in this position, I maybe would have said no. I won't even have thought that I'll stay, back, stay in Adidas for a long time. Um, so clearly, it's a matter of pride to be, to be back, to be leading uh, the business in my home country. However, it's also, um, at the same time, amusing because one has a uh, one has acquired or I have acquired within my family um, a worldview in the last last decade or so, which is not how we see things in India. So it's as much a cultural experience for me and my family as it would be if I were in uh, like I playfully say in Guatemala, mm-hmm. um, and and therefore it's it's amusing, it's interesting. We stay curious to, about learning the the cultural nuances. The the benefit I I think I do have is I'm able to to understand the cultural nuances pretty quickly. It's not mm-hmm. that I'm an absolute alien. I grew up in this context, and and I guess that's that's a superpower to have grown in this context, uh, left this um, uh, and left for about ten years, acquired completely different cultural experiences in South Korea and Germany, um, and Germany is, is special because Germany was also a headquarters. Uh, that was a, also a different context of having worked with very senior leaders in the in the company, including the board. And, and now that you come back, uh, it, it, it is clearly a superpower. I, I, I get the culture of the, the of the country. I get the culture of the company that I represent, um, and, and therefore, the and what we experience today is actually through two lenses of of uh, of being an Indian in India and also having 
understood other cultures and nuances externally. And and if you now look back at this career, and I mean, it's, it's interesting, you're saying if you'd asked yourself 10 years ago, would you be the GM? Share with us a couple of things that have made you successful. I know it's always hard to talk about this, but what have you learned as a leader that has, you think, given you the ability to actually run a business like this and lead? Wow. It's a tough one. I guess mindset plays a big role. First of all, Craig, I guess. And I, and I sometimes reflect what, what got, got me here or anywhere, actually. And I think growing in a, you know, in a circumstance that I grew in, which was, I mean, I was raised in a middle class, middle class set up my both mom and dad are very fairly well educated and they while they had expectations but they never really as i, as I said in the, right in the beginning they never really forced it um, down on their children and, and and they always encouraged us to find our own way while they had bias, their own biases uh, and the fact that we moved from one one city to the other and in just about three years um, and that helped me acquire a, a mindset in which change and ambiguity is never an issue with, with me. I think that helps because that helps in being courageous uh, when you move from India to South Korea, let's say. Completely different culture, language, script, um, and the ways of doing business. So clearly, uh, mindset helps. Uh, growth mindset helps. Uh, I guess one thing I, I continuously want to nurture is the is curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um really helps uh, because also especially for us uh, people who were born in the 70s and now that you're in, the, in 2020 and a lot of our skills are uh, are, are non-digital and therefore the ability to be able to always pivot and learn really helps i guess humility helps clearly has helped over the years i've realized that uh, while uh, there's always been inner inner confidence but there's also been an outward humility uh, and, that, and a combination of uh, inner confidence and humility helps. Once I was asked which, you know, which cartoon character would you recognize with or which animated animation character, and I thought really uh, hard and I thought Kung Fu Panda is a good example. Um, he, he knows he can get there. He's, he's passionate, he's curious, and he's always unsure. Um, and, and that kind of makes him humble and self-deprecation yeah yeah in a, in a world where there are a lot of uh, there, there's a lot of overt confidence so so i guess being unsure uh, yet being confident and curious and humble i think the combination is pretty pretty he, solid one of the things that i find so interesting about humility is that i learned some years ago being humble means two things it means first of all i'm not going to be anything that i'm not and that's mm. the interpretation that most of us understand it also means at the same time to fully be who I am. Mm-hmm. And that's the piece that I think people are often missing is being truly humble doesn't mean that I don't own mm-hmm. my superpowers as you were using, my gifts. Sure. I, I want to go back for a second. When you talk about uncertainty, just because we're in these crazy times of COVID-19, you mentioned in a separate conversation this idea that you have been rolling out phases with Adidas in India. And I think it's really interesting if you don't mind sharing a little bit about those three phases and how you are taking on even the advantages of what's possible during these times. True. Well, that's a good one. I think, and, and I guess um, uh, I, I must say it's not unique 
to us, May, I think that's how Adidas and many other big organizations are, are looking at COVID and the scenario that the scenarios um, that come through. First of all, I think it's important to understand clearly that this is there's nothing midterm in this crisis. Everything is near term, and one has to be really be ready to to both pivot or or do and undo because things may or may not work. And hence, uh, being agile with um, uh, and decisive will really really is important and that's what we've been doing in the last it's a few weeks um, but there are clearly three phases in which we kind of talk about um, COVID the first phase clearly now in India at least is was in the eight weeks ago or 12 weeks ago when COVID was happening and the lockdown started happening it was the phase when as a company we we had to actually look after our people and our business and clearly that's the time where we were we were heavily uh, involved in managing the safety of our of our people and the the revenue cost and the cash cycle that's that's critical both are critical extremely important and that's where we we invested most of our time and took some clear decisions um, uh, about about how we conduct ourselves how do we how do we stay safe uh, and yet continue to work towards scenarios that where it was all leading to because we, we were not very close to uh, understanding where it's all leading. The second phase clearly um, was uh, in a, in many ways managing and taking midterm decisions and planning for a bounce back. When did when things did stabilize, let's say five weeks ago, it was clear that we would be at home for some time. Our people were safe, our, our stores and dot-com sites were actually shut. We were almost at a zero revenue in India. That was the time we were, we were, we were planning about how do we bounce back, how do we engage our consumers, uh, and how do we continue, continue to have a dialogue with our consumers to be able to stay relevant and, and, and show that we care. At the same time, in that phase, it was also important to be able to reach out to our people to explain what's happening, how do we take decisions, who's deciding what, and what lies ahead, and what is the preparation level of the organization to be able to uh, to address the situation? And there is a phase which is either a, let's call it the third phase or a subset of the second phase. We 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 clearly we have to talk about reset, uh, and that's the phase where we talk about what what opportunities does this bring? Can we hack um, some ideas and drive growth? Can we do things which we haven't really done? Can we? Um, bring forward things that we would have done uh, 12 months from now um, uh, and, and do them right now because we have both time at hand and there's an opportunity to, to potentially disrupt. And this, and this for me, sometimes becomes, um, after having stabilized um, the first two phases, this is a very exciting phase, correct? Because here you, and especially in India, because things are happening all around us, there are opportunities which, which can be, as a team, which we can focus and bring them forward and start implementing and executing. I, I think it's so helpful. And it's actually sparked a bunch of conversations with clients that I've been having. And what I'm noticing is that leaders are taking advantage of this to think about how do they build this into their team conversation always. True. So, and to notice that the, I use the word mood, the mood of the first phase is actually a very different mood, I would hope, than, for instance, mm -hmm. third phase. So, so to be able to get a leadership team together and be clear, for the next hour, we're going to actually talk about how to make sure that the ship stays afloat. And that's a, that's a, that's a very action-oriented, who's going to do what by when, what do we need, what are we missing? 
where the third phase is probably a conversation that should always be happening, whether we're in COVID or not, and requires a mood of possibility, of curiosity, of what are we missing? So, and and you're right. And I think there's a and you know there's I would still say while there was a lot of hustle in the three phases. The last phase is, is a lot about strategic hustle. There are topics that we always knew we ought to do. The question is, can we do now? Um, and, I, and hence, it's a, it's a very nice mix of being strategically oriented, but having the entrepreneurial mindset to do it right now and do it with what you got. Exactly. Um, Exactly. And, 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 and I've been in so many rooms with teams where they go, yeah, I mean, imagine that the business stopped and we could actually think about these things. Well, guess what? <laughs> Here you are. <laughs> exactly. exactly. And uh, we say that very often. That this, um, this is in one way or the other a unique situation while it is difficult, but it has, it creates possibilities for sure. So what about, you know, one of the questions that I'm always interested in is we talk a lot about leadership downward. What's it like to manage a team? Because you've worked in a large organization all these years, what have you learned about managing upward? It's something that comes up all the time in my work. Mm -hmm. And what have been some of the things that you've noticed about how to best manage your boss, your boss's boss? You mentioned the board before. What are some of your takeaways on, on managing upward? What have you learned? Great, great question. And I, and I must admit that at some point of time when we are all growing up, uh, I don't think we paid so much of attention. But we're all busy doing what we're good at or skilled at. And we almost believe that our boss gets us. Um, only to realize at some point of time that your that that your day job is not the skill set that you acquired over 20 years of experience. And therefore managing stakeholders, including bosses, is 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 a significant part of the responsibility. So I think the, as I said, the first thing is to acknowledge that at some point of time, uh, this is an important part of the job. Uh, very, very important. Few, I guess my my take on this is is I guess clarity of thought helps because we are we tend to be having more details than our superiors and bosses. We we might not take time out to explain the situation or the problem or the solution clearly because we think we get it. We hope, and therefore we hope everybody else gets it. Therefore, being very clear as to what the problem problem is and what are we solving for and explaining that very clearly uh, I guess helps I realized over the period of time uh, and that has now is part of the Adidas culture as well as my my style as well regularity uh, and cadence of a discipline really really helps in managing upwards so uh, every fortnightly check-ins or a 90-day plan or an OKR really helps tell tells the story tell the story and expect and manage expectations um, third thing I would say I, 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 many years ago I think you you mentioned that and I've kind of happened done that very often with my bosses or stakeholders is to have a conversation around standards what is their standard how would they want things to be done and, and what is their level of satisfaction when a certain things again gets done in a certain way so having that conversation early on helps um, me calibrate what are they looking for? Uh, how often do they want to meet? Is a phone call okay? Uh, how do they want escalations to be handled? Is a WhatsApp message all right? Do you, you know, things like these. Do you want a written presentation or a, or a hand or a back of an envelope kind of a scribble is okay when we discuss big, big items? Uh, so a standards conversation is critical. And and finally, I would say one has to learn it over a period of time. But 
learning to care about what they care about is an integral part of managing expectations mm. um, and manage upwards. And many times, and I guess this has been our journey, yours and mine, uh, Craig, for many years as well. We sometimes we care more about things that we we want to care about, uh, and that may not be the same things as our stakeholders care about. And and um, and and just to stay with that, Neil, for a second, how do you do that? So, I don't I don't imagine you walking into a senior person's office and saying, so tell me, what, what do you care about? That's, that's not an easy question. How do sure. you, how do you, how have you found out what they, what matters sure. to these guys? Uh, great, great question. I think, I think it's very amply clear in many organizations. And of course, um, in organizations like ours or big organizations, what the board or the company cares about is sometimes explicitly clear in, in the metrics the organization wants to drive. And having alignment with those on those metrics and how do we achieve those metrics? I think it's an important part of understanding what what do they care about and how and, and how to get there is also something they care about. So having a, the listening uh, and understanding the key metrics and the behaviors the organization or your superiors want to drive uh, would would almost help everybody to understand what they care about. And 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 sometimes creating a sync with the belief and the values of the organization is also critical. Uh, it's difficult to care about what the company cares about if there's not a sync in the core belief uh, or the values uh, of the behavior. And therefore, the the uh, how uh, leadership gets played out in that organization and how the metrics um, get measured may not be therefore in, in sync if you don't relate to the um, to the, the overall vision. Great. One one last question before we begin to, to wrap up. I call it learning edge. And I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, but I think one of the things that's most interesting when I speak with leaders is mm -hmm. what's your current learning edge. So this is not what have you learned, what have you where have you succeeded? It's as a leader, we are always learning, we're always stretching. And and for me, I call it the learning edge because it's at the very edge of the comfort zone. It's where I'm actually not that good yet. What would you share is what you're currently working on as a leader? Oh, that's a very interesting question. I'll be absolutely transparent here. My my current learning edge is is trying to figure out how much of how much of me as a personally Neil is manages the external relationships with the customers and big partners uh, versus letting the team do it. Hmm. Uh, the team has always done it. Um, and here comes a new GM uh, last year. And therefore, I always have the choice to let the team do it or also jump in in selective relationships and or, or some very critical relationships. And I'm learning every day that that, that stakeholder set actually is, is both expanding and is quite dynamic. When I joined, let's say, a year, year ago, I thought, let's say, a certain set of people um, it's important that I I know them personally and I understand what they're doing and they understand from me what we are doing. And I think that now in the, in the or year, year hence, I think that's a, now I feel it's a completely different set of consumers or customers. Uh, customers would be stakeholders mm -hmm. that I need to be personally, uh, let's say, involved with uh, so that they understand uh, or we understand each side better. And that continues to be a, a dynamic space. It's great. It's not comfortable. No, thank, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And, and what I hear is actually quite common in my clients, which is yeah. the 
how do I find the right balance in X? You've given a very specific example of involvement with stakeholders and do I step in now? Do I let the team go? And yet it's a huge question for leaders, which is what's the right balance? And I find one of the keys to knowing the answer is constant feedback, is constant listening of what does the team see? What do the stakeholders see? Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. That's great. I want to ask you a series of, of, of this questionnaire that I'm including in the podcast that I always find fascinating. Right. So we'll take a deep breath. Um, All right. <laughs> so Neil, what is your favorite word? Let's go. What is your least favorite word? Not possible. What turns you on? What inspires you? Progress. What turns you off? Lack of accountability. What sound or noise do you love? Tara's my little daughter. What sound or noise do you hate? Streets in India, honking. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Street photography. What profession would you absolutely not like to attempt? That's a tough one. Being a doctor, I guess. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Let's go. Neil Singh, thank you very, very much for all Pleasure. of Pleasure. Yeah, Pleasure. That was great. Lovely starting you, Neil. Great. Thank you. Thanks again to Neil Singh for joining us today. Uh, Neil is someone that I have known for years, and it was a pleasure to have a conversation with Neil and have him share what he's been learning, what he sees. Uh, and certainly, I said earlier in the, in the intro, uh, I'm always curious to what happens when we live outside of our, of our country and expand our worldview. And Neil has this unique perspective of having now returned with his family to India. Uh, so certainly hope that you enjoyed what he saw and what he was sharing. In addition, uh, I thought it was great that Neil uh, opened up and shared what he's currently challenged with in terms of balance and knowing when does he step in and, and when does he let go? Something that is a common theme that I see in so many of my clients. Thank you, as always, for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And thanks again to Neil Singh for joining us. I'm Craig Miller and reminding you that leadership is a performance art and it's learned and improved through practice. I invite you to keep listening to upcoming episodes, find new ideas, and then go out and practice in your life and work. And as always, if you found this conversation relevant and useful, please share with others. Please also send us your feedback and comments. And thanks for listening.